Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Fisk, and I am joined by Lee Carlo, and back again is Chapin Hemingway after the birth of his child. He only missed one podcast. Bravo, Chapin. Bravo. Of course. And this week... (laughs) <laughs> and this week we are going to be doing the uh, review of the 25th anniversary of Braveheart. And then we are going to finish it all up with a 1995 trivia in which uh, Lee Carlo is going to pit Chaping Hemingway against myself <laughs> for knowledge of brain power and see who comes out on top. <laughs> I came back home to raise crops and, God willing, a family. So you want me to marry you then? Well, that's a bit sudden, but all right. (laughs) Is that what you call a proposal? I love you. Always have. I want to marry you. In a land of timeless beauty, William Wallace was a man of peace. I want to stay here with you. And I with you. You say you want to stay out of the troubles? If I can live in peace, I will. But when they threatened his world... Edward Longshanks is the most ruthless king ever to sit in the throne of England. Scotland. My land. And the woman he loved. I want a home and children. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. He was driven to war. Go back to England! Tell them there that Scotland's daughters and her sons are yours no more. The rebellion has begun. And who? William Wallace. He rallies new volunteers in every Scottish town. We've come to fight and to die for you. Stand up, man. I'm not the Pope. Pick a flock of your finest assassins and set a meeting. My lord, Wallace is renowned for his ability to smell an ambush. <laughs> All right, guys, so bear with me on this introduction because I don't really know if <laughs> where it's going or if it's going to work. But have you guys seen To Kill a Mockingbird relatively recently? Like, we all agree that's a pretty good film, right? I think so. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. And the reason I bring this up is you have a character in Atticus Finch who is sort of fighting for what I would call like sort of universally uh, like good things. Like he nobody nobody questions Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. He's fighting against what we all consider to be um you know, racism and, and, and all this stuff that we just go, okay, yeah, we're on this guy's side. Um, and, and, and To Kill a Mockingbird is a good movie, so it can be done. And the reason I bring this up is because in Braveheart, the one thing I noticed this time around is the sort of lack of moral ambiguity in this movie, <laughs> where... You have a good guy, and literally he's fighting for freedom, and his wife is killed, and the revenge tour he takes is about that, and like there's just no moral ambiguity to this movie. I'm not saying it can't be done well. It's been done well in movies like To Kill a Mockingbird. I guess my opening question is, is it done well here, or does this moral ambiguity and how sort of simple this is prevent you guys from liking this movie? Uh, I think it's a problem. It, I don't. I'm not sure that I thought about it until you've asked this question, but it's it definitely exposes uh, sort of a lack of depth that this movie might have. However, I did write down how I kind of love that this this one aspect of this movie if you and and I wrote wrote it down sort of as an as a comparison to Gladiator uh we reviewed that movie uh earlier this year um since it's its 20th anniversary and obviously these movies have some similarities and boy does the Gladiator owe a debt to Braveheart totally 
but I was thinking about how there's sort of a there's sort of a civilized nature in the way that Maximus goes about getting his revenge. Like he sort of follows the the <laughs> follows the right steps. Like he climbs the gladiator ladder. He doesn't. He just... works within the system. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Whereas these guys in Braveheart are just like fuck this. I want freedom. Fastest way to get there: kill the English. So let's do yeah, it and and, and like, murder the, my countrymen who may disagree with me. Exactly, and blood. I sort of loved that about this movie. And I was going to wait to get to this point, but I'll just bring it up now. I think this movie sort of stumbled upon this accidentally. But there's an amazing hangout movie in this because this clan that that William Wallace is the head of with Brendan Gleeson and his his Irish friend are awesome. I love hanging out with them. And so the moral ambiguity piece is definitely a problem with the movie as a whole because if you look at it, it's just like, oh, look, the good guys and the bad guys. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's very obvious, and that's sort of, sort of an issue, and it makes this this movie a little thin. But at the same time, I just kind of like the bluntness of it. Oh, it's certainly blunt. Like, I, I guess I bring it up because it's like there's something about this movie that, like people just sort of cling to and i think it's that it's so simple Mm. and it's so like this like this is what we're fighting for freedom something like that who doesn't like freedom everyone likes freedom uh our main character's wife gets killed by the bad guys well fuck them you know like we're going after the, the those guys there's no question yeah, because because who they're you're, who um, you're supposed to be rooting for here because they're enacting a, a law that allows yeah. them to have sex with yeah, the guys wives. To rape the wives like there's just nothing to that plot that i just described where you're gonna get some sort of interesting moments of conflict of what this character should do i mean even down to his death he is screaming about freedom in hindsight you're like no wonder this fucking movie won best picture (laughs) it's so it seems so easy at this point and then we have movies or even shows like game of thrones where the moral ambiguity of all these characters becomes very messy and that becomes very interesting to watch Whereas Braveheart, it's the total opposite. And I had a hard time with it this time around. Yeah, I I did too. I think it's um, a real, you know, I don't think Mel Gibson and um, who's the, what's the writer's name? Randall Wallace. Wallace. Randall Wallace, um, who went on to do a couple things are very interested in moral ambiguity. I mean, clearly in this movie, they don't, they don't really care. And, um, you can tell, but it does make this movie less for me, you know, like, so I was thinking about it in terms of the films that won the Oscars. And we talked a little bit about this on the usual suspects and how we looked back and it was like, Oh wow. Like, look at this, look at these movies. But you know, you can also tell that with Apollo 13, like Apollo 13 is pretty, is I think a smarter movie than this, but it's moral grounds are drawn lines are drawn pretty thick, you know, like it's, it's, it's not a complex morality tale. And I think, you know, it doesn't really matter in Apollo 13 cause there's no villain. There's no, there's not a lot at stake morally, but you know, William Wallace is portrayed as this righteous person, or at least that's what people who like him think of him, but he just savagely murders anybody who disagrees with him. And um, I didn't really necessarily have a problem with that specifically, but you know, you've got these moments, which in my mind I knew about, but I, I was sort of surprised how often they occur where he kind of, wax is poetic about freedom and um you know the role of a you know having a home of their own and the little asides he has with robert the bruce for seemingly no reason um and you know you can see the passion in his eyes and i think gibson does a good job with that and i think the writing is fine but it just feels out of place when he's like bursting into one of his countrymen's house with a horse and slapping him with a 
you know, mauling his skull and then jumping into the... With, like, the ball and chain. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, those moments are fun. And I think, ultimately, probably what we'll agree we love about this movie. But, yeah, it's not a complex movie. And I think it suffers for that on the rewatch. So, I wrote this down. And this is this is much more... I, I don't feel this way about this movie. But it's... It's formulaic in the na- in the way the way that like it's really cool battle scene bookending the boring bits like yeah. you know what I mean and, and I don't think the the scenes in the middle with Robert the Robert the Bruce and like the other clans I don't think that they're boring I think that they're interesting they're much less exciting than the battle scenes in this movie um, it has you know it's very similar to Gladiator in that nature where you're like I'm watching this and I'm remembering myself in high school just fast forwarding to these scenes and I and I was thinking I was like what why was I fast forwarding to these like gruesome bloody blood battle lust. scenes like <laughs> I clearly blood had a lot of bloodlust um, but going back to your your question Jeremy what I think is actually interesting is we were talking about Apocalypto last night. Uh, Jeremy, you and I both rewatched that, and Chapin, I know you watched it recently. I think that movie is more offensive in the, not necessarily, I guess in the moral ambiguity piece. Like, the bad guys in that movie are are way more the bad guys. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I found, I noticed that watching Apocalypto, while I didn't particularly pinpoint it watching Braveheart, although it's true. So it's definitely a, and then, I mean, his next movie after no, that was about that, Jesus. The difference, I mean. the difference is in Apocalypto, which I think is a fantastic film. I, I was amazed at how much I liked it. But Oh, I told you guys the, last night, I think it's better than Braveheart. Oh, it's definitely better than Braveheart. I've, I've always thought that in the past. I, I'm not sure how I feel anymore. But, okay. but at least with that, that's Survivor film. That's about this one person trying to survive and wrestle with the changes that are happening. Right. That's where the difference is where William Wallace, that's, it, it's his character that has no moral ambiguity. It's, it's he's, he's the good, they're the bad. Whereas in Apocalypto, right. yes, there are bad guys that are bad, but he's trying to survive. It's about his sort of journey with that yeah. and taking care of family and, and, and that sort of thing, which is a lot more complex than Braveheart. There's, there's some moments in Braveheart that I really like. I mean, at the beginning before his wife is killed, you know, he, he explains to his soon to be wife's father and, and another guy that, you know, he, he wants to live in peace. If he can, he will. And then later in the movie, he, (laughs) later in the movie, he, he says to Brendan Gleeson, I don't want to, I want to live. I don't want to be a martyr. He agrees that, you know, it's, it's not, he's not just this bloodthirsty maniac. At least that's what he's trying to tell us there. You know, he wants this to end, and this is the only way he sees that it can. So I think that there's some moments in this movie, regardless of how you feel about the moral ambiguity we've been talking about, there are some moments in this movie that try to salvage this idea that he's doing this for a cause, and he has an end goal, and it's laid right out there. It's freedom, right? He screams it at the end of the movie, and and a lot of those scenes work. Like, I was actually surprised at how well the speeches and the the scene at the end work in this movie. I think the music is fantastic and, and really works at elevating your heart rate or elevating your emotional response to this movie. So I think a lot of those moments work, and they try to get these things in there to say, you know, to really show you who... William Wallace wanted to be and what he was aiming for, but this is ultimately just the movie for bloodthirsty teenagers. I think that's right. <clears throat> I do think that this film, comparing it to Gladiator, you know, we talked about the politics of Rome and that not really working for any of us, but I think the, I think they do a good job with the politics here. I, I mean, like it's, it. Yeah. It's not complex, but they, I think they handled it really well. You understand the kind of, what kind of force the, the British are, the English. And so you, I think in a very short amount of screen time. And I wonder like, you know, going back, had they spent a little bit more time, um, you know, establishing the sort of colonial nature of the English, uh, monarchy would, would have been a little more effective, but they, in a very short time, you understand why these, why the Scots hate them. And, um, you know, like the, the, Longshanks is quite evil and he's got, you know, this, the sun, which is a whole nother bag of, 
cats we probably don't want to get into right now. But I do think that that is well explained. It's interesting and it doesn't feel like an aside. It feel, you know, where in Braveheart it was like, or in Gladiator, you're like, well, like get us back to the Coliseum. We don't care about these people in robes. The, the politics are important to the plot. And I think ultimately like getting into, let's just get into it. Like, I, I think this movie is, is like a demonstration of how talented a director Mel Gibson is. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to talk about him or not. I mean, he's obviously kind of a persona non grata and I, to some extent agree with that, but he's an extremely talented director. It's just this story is, and, 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 and he, like, I think his battle scenes are better than Ridley Scott's. I think he's got a sense of action that few directors have. And I think this movie is gorgeous. I think it's beautiful. I think all the elements, the music, the cinematography, the acting, you know, Lee, you and I talked about, I was remembering, when we talked about Jake Lloyd in episode one, like where was this, didn't this kid, the kid who played young William Wallace get to audition? I mean, how good was he? (laughs) Like even little parts like that, like, you know, in this kind of silly movie, like all these elements work so well. And it's sort of hard to step back and kind of without Jeremy's question and kind of criticize this movie. But ultimately I do think that kind of simplistic morality kept this movie from being what I used to think it was, which was this, you know, epic, one of the best films of the nineties. Well, yeah, yeah. And no, yes and no. I mean, like, I think it, it, the simplicity of this movie prevents it from being transcendent, but it also is proof that it's a well-made commercial movie. I mean, I think the, the, the simplicity and the smallness and by smallness, I mean just like the very few characters that he uses to uh, relay information about the politics of this time period are very effective in making this movie appealing. The reason that we're that Gladiator doesn't work is because like I I don't however many times I've seen Gladiator, I have no fucking idea who half of those senators are, like what their point is in the movie. Like all I care about in that movie is Maximus and Commodus. And that's really it. If you want to throw in like the the side gladiators and um, you know Commodus's sister, then fine. But like all the senators and stuff, it's just noise. Where here you have a, a very small number of characters to the point where you know all of their names and you understand all of their motives. And because of that smallness and simplicity, a very big epic movie is made so that a huge number of people can understand it and enjoy every aspect of it. And that's that's what I liked about it. Like, I found myself ebbing and flowing while watching this movie, being like, yeah, you know, this movie's not really what I remembered. And also, like, God, I'm really enjoying this movie. Like, all of these, ce- all these scenes I thought where I was just going to be like, God, I, I used to love that. That fucking sucked. I was still loving. Like, I thought a lot of this stuff worked so nicely. And it's, like you said, Chapin, a real credit to Gibson as a director. Yeah, I think he's... And and I really thought this in Apocalypto, but also in Braveheart, he's he's sure he's a sure-footed director. Like all his decisions, yeah, he's got to be, especially in Apocalypto. I mean, all his decisions just make sense, and he doesn't put any sort of fat into his directing. Like every frame is a decision, and you can tell that watching his movies. Whereas he probably could really get lost in a lot of that other stuff. He could get lost in the battles. He could add a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be there. Like every moment is taking you to the next in in his movies. He did add some stuff that didn't need to be there. Okay, yeah. But I'm talking about the framing of the shots specifically and and how he films everything. Well, what's Um, a real credit to him too is this that I mean, Chapin, you mentioned the cinematography in this movie, which is stunning, like absolutely stunning. I hadn't remembered how good it was. I kind of always assumed it was good. Uh, John Toll is the cinematographer. The cinematography in Apocalypto is also very good. The cinematography in Passion of the Christ is unreal. Those are three different like, directors of photography that he's worked with. Or, or, or bad? It's beautiful. It's amazing. Okay. It's easily the best, the biggest takeaway from that movie, um, aside yeah, from Jesus dying. That's Caleb Deschanel, right? Caleb Deschanel, yeah. And I forget who did Apocalypto. I looked it up last night and John uh, told Thomas, this. So, Tom, Thomas Newton Siegel, I think. That sounds right. So anyway, three different cinematog- three different cinematographers on three different movies that all look amazing. So you have to point to the director and his visual eye. 
And I think I think that's great. And like just knowing what will work in the frame, Jeremy, you brought it up. Like these battle scenes are so crazy. Like it's just these crowds of people running at each other, yet somehow it's not overly chaotic. Right. Like it's, it's it really makes well sense. Done. Um, and especially it, when you think of you know, someone like, I mean, it's not fair to keep comparing it to Gladiator, but like, there's a lot of similarities. You know, a visualist like Ridley Scott, he kind of made a mess of that couple doesn't of those it, battle scenes. And Doesn't and, this and movie make it feel just, like Ridley Scott phoned it in on Gladiator? Yes, totally. And <laughs> and it's just like, and, and they were going, I mean, a lot of that was trying to emulate Braveheart. So like the blueprints there, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a little sad. I still, I still think the, the structure of Gladiator is better than Braveheart, and the script is better. But I don't know. I really the script of this is really good. Like, so I I loved the scenes uh, early in the movie. You know, when around when and after he marries Marin, I thought that stuff was really nice. And like, look, like you mentioned it, Jeremy. It's like so obvious, right? He he wants freedom, and then his wife is killed, and he goes on like this like incredible revenge tour. So it's obvious, but it, it works. I mean, like it's, if you think about it, I, I mentioned how it's a bit formulaic, but that's okay because that structures the movie. Like you, you have this character whose, whose father is killed. It, the mo- the beginning of this movie is so cliche. It's like, he's getting all this sage advice from his father as he's dying and like yeah. from his uncle and like all that stuff. You're like, okay, he's going to use that later. You're going to use that later. And it's, it's sort of annoying, but you basically move through this like chapter by chapter, like, you know, comes back, wants peace, wife, marries someone, wife is murdered, goes on revenge, gets betrayed, gets like, it's just, it's very formulaic, but that structures the movie nicely. And then Gibson does so much as a director to fill in those scenes. And I think that's fine. I mean, the structure of Gladiator is essentially the same, so maybe it works just as well. But it's not the same in the in he like the tagline of Gladiator is way cooler. I mean, well, Mel Gibson doesn't have to like then elevate himself from being a general down to a slave. Like that whole thing. Like that's that's a adds a layer of complexity in Gladiator that Braveheart doesn't have. Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned there's some stuff in this movie that didn't need to be there and I was referring specifically to um, his relationship with the princess the French princess that marries the king the English king's Longshanks gay son um, she falls in love with the idea <laughs> of him allegedly <laughs> allegedly gay son I actually love those scenes though like I, I love that character in this movie it does add a little bit of comic relief to the movie that doesn't have much um, like <laughs> I don't know when he throws the guy's lover out the window is I just love that scene I've always loved that scene um, but anyway that relationship with Alleged with uh, Sophie Marceau I think is is weak sauce man like it's so Let's cram in the love story. Like, uh, it was missing, like, a, a sex scene with them I'm sh- that may have ended up on the cutting room floor uh, to the studio chagrin, but uh, the movie was already nearly three hours long. But I just thought that was just so dumb. I was like, this just does not need to be here. Yeah, I'm sure it's on, it's, Mel Gibson has it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that that was... That seemed forced into the into the storyline a bit. I also was it, so this didn't really bother me, and mostly because I think Mel Gibson is really good in this movie. He's very convincing, but he was thirty nine when this movie was released. Now, based on what I looked up about William Wallace, um, I think he was born. I think it said he was born in in twelve seventy. Yeah, he died. Then, he died when he was thirty five. Well, yeah, the movie, the movie, uh, the movie begins in 1280. The title card says Scotland 1280. So he was 10 when he was a little kid. So I just was like doing the math in my head as I was watching. I'm like, so Gibson's 39. That means he was gone for thir- nearly 30 years, and then came back and was friends with all these people. And I don't and know. Wanted that, to, and wanted to have sex with the little girl who gave him the flower. Right. Who? Who? Uh, I forget that actress's name, but she was, <laughs> she was like 23 when this movie was filmed, so much younger than Gibson. 
Um, now, all right, this is something that hopefully I can articulate well because I, I'm, I don't know exactly what I mean by this. But period pieces like this, I, the, I, I struggle sometimes, like, accepting when they take place. Like, what is something that took place near over 700 years ago supposed to look like? This movie looks like it was made in 1995. I mean, honestly, it looks like it could have been made last year. It, it allows it to age well, but... Right, it's like kind of when like you're Titanic. watching it, you're watching it, and you're like, "This like, the like it just I don't know if it would have worked in black and white or what." Like it's just the way we picture time. Something that happened 700 years ago doesn't look like this. So like it messes sort of with like how your brain processes information, and so it becomes a little less authentic. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, no, no I, 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 well, I, I knew Jeremy was going to say that, but I, I, I think this movie has a lot of problems with authenticity, which, you know, we've had this argument Is over and over again. To be? <clears throat> you know, but yeah, like we can have this argument. I know you, you don't agree, Jeremy, but you know, it, it, at a certain point, you, you, you know, Lee, you and I had this conversation on another podcast, uh, which it was a uh, Richard Jewell, which funnily yep. enough. Yep. Uh, was when Jeremy had to leave us cause when he had a baby. So, um, honestly, like I, I, and and I don't really know, but yeah, like if it, I think this is where the where we could fairly agree to j- draw the line. Jeremy is where Lee's sitting there and saying, "I don't know about this," and he's taken out because I mean, you probably don't care if you know they the, that was they actually wore kilts and. 1200 AD or, you know, silly things like that. But if you're thinking about things that are inaccurate and you're, and you're being taken out of the film, that, that becomes an issue. And I mean, I, I do think that there is some responsibility to tell a somewhat truthful story when you're talking about a real person. Um, you know, it, yeah, but that's so far in the past that how much history well, see, do we have? That's true. There's not a lot. There's not a, do we have of? But this, what you like, guys are misunderstanding is that like it's not it's not just the authenticity of like costumes and things like that. It's just like when you're watching a movie made in 1995 or watching a, a movie like Gladiator, and it's something that took place hundreds of years ago. It. It just doesn't register in my brain that there's a visual representation this crisp of something that happened that long ago. So it's hard for me to accept the idea that this happened that long ago. And something else that I think that uh, causes causes that to happen is is things like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, which brilliantly I Both think maybe recognize no, that not real time. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But they recognize that something happening this long ago is gonna is going to provide no frame of reference for anybody watching or reading it. So you can insert dragons and like stone men and like all these fantastical elements that seem real because you're dealing with a time period or thing or, or or they recognize the the fantastical element that the type of warfare we're watching has. So they can put all these other crazy things in whereas Braveheart it's trying to show us something that really happened it's trying to stay true to the history but we are watching something that was made in 1995 and like there's I guess again like I said I can't articulate and I guess there really is no way to do it there's there's my brain isn't able to accept the idea that what we're watching happened 800 years ago wait till you see the passion of the Christ well, that's the same thing. Like, <laughs> it's the same problem. But that movie but, is visually stunning too. It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with how you how your brain isn't able to register stuff, Lee. I mean, that's just <laughs> kind of stupid. Yeah, you know, that's your brain. But uh, I can't say you're wrong for feeling that way. It's not a it's not a problem. It's just something I've always had. I always remember having that issue with Gladiator. I was looking at it. and I was like, this seems so polished. This is supposed to be like the sword and sandals. This is supposed to I be. Like, I like ancient how he wants Rome. it to be filmed on sand or something. Yeah. Like he wants it to go pre black and white. Yeah, whatever that like. The beginning of Stalker is what I think this should look like. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a unique problem, I guess. Yep, probably. To yourself. Email uh, I, Email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com if you feel that way. Yeah, I didn't have any issue with that. I mean, 
you do you do find yourself watching and 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 being like was it, I wonder what it was really like to be like living back then everyone was so everyone was pretty fit like like you know like I, uh, I did think I, that I was like could, god these they must be so tired in those battles yeah everyone's like eating enough like nobody seems to be starving like there are those moments where you're like oh seems seems I'm great sure that's de- not compared how to really the problems was, we're but... dealing with today here yeah they didn't have things like coronavirus yeah life was peachy back then <laughs> <laughs> they lived to 34 um couple couple things i learned watching this movie um a ten year range from probably around this time, nineteen ninety five to maybe two thousand five. Big speeches on the battlefield or presidential speeches were really in. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, begun very, by this movie. Very nice. I, I think this might have been the first one. I mean, yep. I wrote down a few movies. That, Obviously, that Braveheart. That been our, our top five, our best like best speeches, speeches of the nineties. Gladiator, Lord of the Rings has a big one in the Independence third movie. Day. Independence Day, the president in The Rock and Armageddon given the same speech twice. (laughs) Hardest call. He had to make the hardest call of his career in 96, and then he'd been reelected a bunch of times and was in uh, making another hard call in Armageddon. Um, But yeah, big speeches. Another thing I learned watching this, and I think I had to admit it to myself, is that I actually don't mind and maybe even just like when music is used a lot, even if you can make the argument that it's overused. If the score is it never good, bo- it never bothered use, me in this movie. But it's it's pervasive throughout this movie. But I just really liked it. I was like, I I'd get to a moment and be like, oh, this is happening. Where should my emotions go? And then the music told me, and I was like, okay, I'm in. Written by but, James Horner, who also did the controversial Apollo 13 score. Fucking stepping oh, yeah. on my goddamn trivia. Shit, sorry, sorry. Um. Oh, Anyhow, well, James is going to win this trivia. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> but to go back to your point Review about... 1995 <laughs> movies. Get the fuck out of Dodge Lee. Jesus <laughs> Christ. When, uh... What made this a 1995 movie more than anything to me is its simplicity. Because if a movie like Braveheart came out now, we would just say, fuck off. With your yeah. f- with how simple that 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 <clears throat> that would moral never angle would we, okay. we wouldn't be able to handle that. All right. Well, first of all, it it, it wouldn't happen now because it would come out as a series. Such a simpler time. It would come out as a series, and it would be where, way where we were way like, more yeah, detailed. it's all about simply freedom and not killing my wife. All yeah. right. But this is the th- like. Do we want a, a more complex Braveheart? I would. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, if it was made now, I would for sure. I think and, it's and a it worse movie. A, it definitely took away some of what I thought that movie was. I simultaneously think that it's a problem. Like the simplicity, the things you were talking about, Jeremy. I simultaneously think it's a problem, but also the addition of too much of that stuff makes it a worse movie. I do think you can you could add some layers to William Wallace, like it's strange like the fact that we're like rooting for him when he's just like like wiping out these other scotsmen freedomly is is strange like but they betrayed him so he's our hero i mean again that that goes to the simplicity of the movie but i think there's an overly complex braveheart is a is not as good a movie as this is however it could have used some more layers on the characters what do you guys Uh, think of gibson in this I think so, he's really good. Yeah, so I went. I've always thought he was fantastic in this movie. It was he was always sort of someone I pegged as a uh, someone that got robbed of an uh, an acting Oscar. But I went into this thinking he's probably not going to be as good as I remembered. But I was wrong. I think he's outstanding. His accent has some issues. Oh, Wait, I, I think won, it's good. Who won this year? Is it part of your trivia, too, Lee? Um, I can't remember. Uh, it's sort of. We'll we'll get to that later. Um, well, our pod- it's, uh, I'm going to look it up because our podcast listeners want to know. Okay, it's Nicolas Cage one. Oh, for Leaving Las Vegas? Yeah. Um, but Gibson wasn't even nominated. Ooh. Um, I think his accent at times has some issues. For the most part, it's good. But when he's like, unite the clans, I'm like, oh, he's reaching there. But um, 
I think he's excellent. I think he's really good. The scene I always go to is when he gets portrayed by Robert the Bruce and there's this look in his eyes that you like totally empathize with. And it's a, a look like that's a hard thing for an actor to pull off. And he does. I think he's excellent. I think this is his best performance of his career, probably. I don't know what else he's up against. Road Warrior, where he doesn't speak. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. He has a weird career because you would have thought sort of after Braveheart that he becomes an action star. Um, well, he did like, a little bit. When was like... He was um, a little bit with the Lethal Weapon movies and all that. But that, but was, that was before. previous to, to Braveheart. Yeah, but he but did I, like I'm Ransom thinking, and stuff. Like he did some of like, those like classic 90s Yeah, but I'm thinking at, like, he, thrillers, he's like, like Sylvester Stallone at this point and, and in... Uh, what are those movies where all the action stars lethal weapon oh yeah. uh expendables yeah like he's oh, he's a part yeah. of the expendables cast sort of but he i don't think of him like that well, he went crazy i mean he was in the beaver with joe that jody foster directed come on <laughs> instead of the expendables yeah uh, yeah, um, I mean, so he was the, the ransom was ninety six. That was the next year. Payback was ninety nine. So like he did, he did maintain this. Oh, he's in the Expendables three, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, he is. He made it. <laughs> I didn't see that classic. Um, oh, I thought that's what you were, you were saying. You you didn't you actually didn't know he was in the Expendables. No, I didn't. I, th- I, I didn't thought, know. He's I the villain. Not, he, <laughs> All right, the so third he. One. So he. I mean, he does kind of continue this. So nineteen ninety five is Braveheart. He'd obviously had. You know, a couple lethal weapon, three lethal weapon movies before that. Um, he does Ransom. He does Conspiracy Theory, Lethal Weapon Four, Payback. Uh, he's in The Patriot. He's in We Were Soldiers. Um, then he does Signs with What Shyamalan. Women Want. That was a huge. That was the biggest hit of his career, I think. Well, and then they remade it. What last year, right? With uh, somebody can't remember. It was <clears throat> What Men Want. Uh, and then he's in Edge of Darkness, which was this terrible Boston movie. The Beaver mm-hmm. gets to the... Gr- I mean, he continued to do... He's in Machete Kills, apparently. He's It's all action, pretty much exclusively action movies his entire career. The movies get exponentially worse as we move into the 2000s. I mean, that, I guess that says a lot about him as a director, because that's sort of where I think of him as. Well, I agree. I mean, but he's you know he hasn't directed a lot of movies, and his last one was not very good. In the um, Expendables, he plays Conrad Stonebanks. Perfect villain name, of course. And Passion of the Christ came before Apocalypto, which I didn't realize. But yeah, um, and he's supposedly has announced as the director for the remake of the Wild Bunch, which in the Passion of the Christ too is supposed to star Revenge Fast- of Jesus. Wild Bunch is supposed to star Michael Fassbender, Jamie Foxx, and Peter Dinklage, directed by Gibson. I mean, honestly, like, that excites me. That's um, a great cast. Yeah. Woody, great. Help me out of this thing. Shh. What? It's okay. Everything's under control. Woody, what are you doing? Houston, all systems are go. Requesting permission to launch. Hey, how'd you get out here? Oh, well. You and I can have a cookout later. <laughs> Houston, do we have permission to launch? Uh, Roger. Permission granted. You are confirmed at T minus 10 seconds. In counting. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1! Reach for the sky! We're going to do some 1995 trivia. Guys, we sort of stumbled upon 1995. You know, obviously we were doing our 20-year revisits. I love it. I Um, think it really provides some perspective and an interesting dichotomy with 2000. Yeah, and 95 was an amazing year, too. Uh, We've talked about Apollo 13, Usual Suspects, and now Braveheart. Um, We look back on that year fondly. I mean, it was a really big year for a lot of people. Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer, Mel Gibson, Harvey Weinstein, O.J. Simpson. All, all have gone on to all, do great all things. All big years in 1995. Um, so we, th- we we think maybe at some point we'll do our, our top movies of 1995, but today we're going to do trivia, 1995 specifically, trivia based on 1995, Jeremy against Chapin, and I've, I've structured this a little bit differently. I've got four different categories. Okay, I have 
the awards category in which there are 16 possible points. I have cast and crew, which is a total of only six points. There's budget and box office, which has nine points, and production, which has 10 points. Each category has five questions. And the way that we're going to do this is that you guys are going to alternate, but you're going to choose each other's category for their next question. And then I will ask. Now, some questions have more point values than others. You are able to steal points as usual. Um, but I'll make sure things are worked evenly. So, for example, there's, a, there's two six-point questions in the awards category. You will each get one of those. You can't have both. Does that make sense? And then total points wins once we've gotten through all the questions, guys. Uh, okay. All right. Let's go. Who wants to go first? Jeremy um, can go first. All right. Chapin, choose a category for Jeremy. Awards, casting crew, bo- budget, and box office, or production. Budget and box office. Oh, All right. For fuck's sake. He's the thing I'm the worst <laughs> All right. at. We're gonna, we'll start here. Jeremy, this movie from 1995 yeah. was, at the time, the most expensive movie ever produced. This is for one point. Ever produced. So the budget of the movie was the highest budget. It was the most expensive movie ever made at that point. Yep. Of all time. Um, I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's it. The only thing I could think it would be would be Braveheart. That's incorrect. Chapin seems to know the answer. Waterworld. His hand is coming through the screen. One point for Chapin. It is Waterworld. <sighs> yeah, Waterworld. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Jeremy. Choose a category yeah. for Jeremy, uh, for Chapin. Awards, cast and crew, budget and box office, production. So awards is one, cast and crew is another? Yep, budget and box office is another, and production is another. Uh, uh, cast and crew. All right. Chapin. Yeah. A Little Princess. Was this director's English-language feature film Alfonso debut? Alfonso Cuaron. Wow, two-pointer. I thought James that would be gonna, tougher. James is gonna kill me in this. <laughs> well, he's up three to nothing. Yeah, he's, this might be a this might be a sweep. A okay, sweep. Let's let's uh, give Jeremy a category, Chapin. Um, let's give him cast and crew. Cast and crew, Jeremy, yeah. for two points. Yeah. Name the 1995 Judd Apatow produced film, which he oh, also geez. co-wrote. Oh Jesus. Um... Also co-wrote. Chapin, don't be looking stuff up in the meantime. I see your computer screen flashing. I'm just looking at stills from Expendables 3, so. <laughs> the the uh, specificity of that answer makes me believe you. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's either Tommy Boy or Billy Madison. or No, he wasn't part of though. I'm going to say Billy Madison. Nope, Chapin, you have a Heavy guess? Heavyweights. Heavyweights, oh my god, this is going to be a fucking bloodbath. Yeah. Two more points for Chapin. This is why I didn't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to host now because I always lose. All right. Chapin, ca- uh, Jeremy, category for Chapin. Uh, 1930 silent films. <laughs> that would be hard. Uh, cast and crew. All right. Let's see. Chapin, name the two films that Sharon Stone appeared in in 1995 for one point. For one point, you get... He's looking it up, isn't he? No, he's looking at the ceiling. Unless he's got it written on the ceiling. Casino. all Sharon Stone posters. (laughs) Casino and... This is good. This is good radio. I don't know. No, Jeremy, have a you have a guess? Uh, Basic Instinct. No, The Quick and the Dead. Oh, I wasn't gonna get that. Never seen it. No points for either of you. Chapin, category for Jeremy. Let's go box office. All right, Jeremy, box office. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with uh, the Indian in the cupboard. Rank these movies in order of their budgets. Three-point okay. question. 
Okay. Highest to lowest. Either way, as long as they're in order. Highest to lowest, sure. Leaving Las Vegas, Desperado, before sunrise. Uh, before sunrise is going to be the lowest. Um, leaving Las Vegas and... No, no, then Desperado, then leaving Las Vegas. Oh, I should have stuck with your gut. Ah, uh, for fuck's sake. Sorry, Chapin, you can't really steal that one. Yep. Um, it's before sunrise, $2.5 million budget. Leaving Las Vegas, amazing, $3.6 million budget. Desperado was $7 million. All right, Jeremy, category yeah. for Chapin? Uh, awards. Awards. Chapin, name. Let's see. Uh, so one of my questions, one of my questions was name one. Name a movie from this one's not. This one's not going to count now. Um, one per, one person competed against himself at the Oscars in 19, for 1995. Can you name him? Which we already talked about that. James Horner was nominated for Apollo 13 and Braveheart. Um, Chapin, name all of the Best Actor nominees. You get a point for each. If you get all five, you get an extra point, potentially six points. Um, the Italian guy, Massimo Sotz to Sisi. And I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Uh, Nicholas Cage. Thomas Hanks <laughs> for Toy Story. <laughs> no, no, for Apollo thirteen. Was he not nominated? No, he was not. Fuck. All right. Does that mean he he stops there? Yeah. Well, he gets he gets basically five guesses, so you can. Oh, you just... um, Anthony Hopkins or Nixon. Okay. Yep. One more guess. I only know one, so hopefully he doesn't pick that one. <laughs> Oh, fuck's sake. I don't know. All right, Jeremy, got any points you can get here? Yeah, Sean Penn for Dead Man Walking. Okay, yeah. Dead Man Walking. And that's all I got. Richard Dreyfus is the fifth nominee for Mr. Holland's Opus. All right, we have a score of eight to one. There's still plenty of questions to go. All right, Chapin, category for Jeremy. Um, what are the categories? Just, you just pick one. Dealer's Awa- choice. Awards, casting crew, budget box office, and production. Dealer's choice. All right. So let's move into the production category here. All right. Uh, Jeremy, for yeah. one point. Yeah. In 1995, Miramax created an independent distribution company to release this 1917 rated movie. 1917. NC-17 rated movie. 1917's a film. Ah, there is a NC-17. I think I've seen all the NC-17 <laughs> movies. I thought this would be right up your I thought I'd seen them all. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, was Leaving Las Vegas? No. Chapin? Showgirls. Incorrect, Chapin. Oh, fuck. It's amazing. There's actually two pretty famous NC-17 movies made is in 1995. It is Kids. Kids, okay. Oh, I wouldn't know how they got that. All right. All right, Chapin. Let's see where we're at here. I'm going to give you... Uh, this one is worth a possible four points, okay? Okay. Um, it's three... It's... Hold on, how do I have this? It's... Uh, yeah, it's three points. It's four if you get them all. What five movies that spawned at least two sequels were released in 1995? Oof, jeez. That spawned two, at least two sequels? Yes, and the way this is going to work is if, if you get... There's one you get an extra point for if you get it, and the other ones you get a total of three points if okay. you get them. Well, Toy Story. There's one. Dumb and Dumber. That's only one sequel. Nope, there's two sequels. There's one sequel. There's two. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. And Dumb and Dumber 2. That's the same thing. That's the same movie. It's not. There's two sequels. No, I'm going to... Jeremy, look that up while Chapin's getting the other ones. We're going to confirm that. One's technically a prequel, but that... So? Oh, well, then if it's technically a prequel... Yeah, I said sequels. Okay. <clears throat> um, oh yeah, the Harry, when Harry met Lloyd, that one doesn't count. 
Okay, well, you didn't say the rules. <laughs> I said sequels. Okay, so I said Toy Story. Yep. <sighs> Apollo 14 and Apollo 15. <laughs> um, oh, this is hard. I have no idea. I'm trying to I'm trying to count down the top f- Die Hard. No. Yeah, there are two Die Hard sequels. Yeah, but the, the but Die Hard was not yeah. released in 1985. Die Hard wasn't. Die Hard 4, Die Hard 3 was released and it had two sequels at least. He's yeah, talking but, about the original. Yeah, it's the originals. Chapin, stop trying to find loopholes cuz you don't know the answer. <laughs> okay, well okay, I said Toy Story. Yeah, he's still Toy Story's still on the board. <laughs> Toy Story's still on the board. Okay. You don't get more points by saying Toy Story multiple times. All right, all right, all right. Hold on, hold, hold on, just a tiny bit longer. Okay, well, only a tiny bit longer. I'm gonna um, give Jeremy a chance. Yeah. Five, four, three, two, one. Jeremy. This is a big opportunity here because you can take Toy Story and then add the rest and get three points. Oh, I... I or four, potentially. The only one I can definitely think of is Before Sunrise. That's another one. So, that there's that. The, the, Bat, the Batman Forever doesn't count, right? Nope. Because of... I feel like you're looking at something, Jeremy. Just the movies. <laughs> what? Just you the list look of at the movies? <laughs> All right, I'm uh, calling this. No okay, points awarded. Bad Boys. We don't get one one point each? No. Bad Boys is another one. Jumanji. And Mortal Kombat was the one that you're going to get extra points for if you got it, because that I don't wouldn't expect you to get. There's but. two Jumanjis? There's there's two new ones in the last like uh, three or four years with The Rock. Alright, whose turn? Is it Jeremy's? Uh, who cares? No, we're gonna you're gonna be fine, Jeremy. This is a four pointer for you. Oh good. Okay. The high school scenes in Clueless mm-hmm. were filmed at Ulysses S. Grant High School in Van Nuys, California. Yeah. Two significant TV shows and one movie were filmed at this high school. Name the TV shows for four 90210. points. 90210? No. 90210? No, okay. I was really hoping that was it. <laughs> Saved by the bell. That's one. I'm going to give you one more chance because you're way behind to get the second one for four uh, points. Two Two TV shows, so... You got Saved by, by the Bell, the, that's one. But not 90210, so... There's probably another one. It's not as significant as 90210, and probably not as significant as Saved by the Bell, but I think pretty significant. Um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, Freaks and Geeks. Oh. All right, let's see. I'm pretty sure it's shape, that's, Jeremy can still I, come back, so we'll keep going. So I can't get a point for that, for the Saved by the Bell? Yeah, sure, I'll give you two points. Two? Oh, I was just hoping for one. <laughs> Chapin's not really paying attention, so. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Chapin. Let's do highest grossing movie worldwide in 1995. Die Hard 3. Wow. I feel like Chapin, like, literally studied. <laughs> Looked it up. Jeremy, highest grossing yeah. movie domestically in 1995. Die Hard 3. Incorrect. No. Chapin? Toy Story? No. Batman Forever. Fuck. Uh, Chapin, rank these movies in order of box office success. Three points. Braveheart, seven, Crimson Tide. Seven, Crimson Tide, Braveheart. Which direction were you going? Top to bottom. Okay. You're wrong anyway. So, sorry. So, Braveheart <laughs> outgrows Crimson Tide? Uh, no. Crimson Tide, 91 million. Seven, that's... 84 million. No. Braveheart, 67 no. million. Nope. Nope. Yep. That's incorrect. Yep. If, I'm going to look it up right now. You're wrong. I'm not wrong. I looked you're, that you, up literally like two wrong. hours ago. You are wrong. So okay. <laughs> this is the real quiz. <laughs> this is the real quiz. I'm going to send you a link, but go ahead and we can continue and we can correct it when we're done. <laughs> Jeremy. Yeah. Six potential points here for you. I can get you right oh, back good. in the game. Okay. Yeah, I'll get them all. 
five five point a point for each one and an extra point if you get them all. Best actress nominees. Uh, oh God! In a well, Lee, I'm putting the link in the chat. Well, we talked about Sharon Stone, right? With that supporting, that's one. She, yep, that's supporting. No, that's one. Yeah, that's one, and she won the Oscar. Um, uh, who else? So I'm just trying to think of the movies we talked about. So nobody in Usual Suspects for sure. No actresses. Uh, Braveheart, no, none. They didn't win. Um, we talked about Leaving Las Vegas. Um, that okay. Uh, Elizabeth Shue. Uh, that was supporting. That was supporting. Oh no, that was that's correct. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yep, she was nominated. Okay. How did she get not a best actress nomination? Okay, there's two. Sorry. Um, and we talked about Dead Man Walking. So, Susan Sarandon, I'll go with. You, you already said her. Uh, no, I thought I said Sharon Stone from Casino. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry, I'm distracted by Chapin's links because I'm literally looking at $91 yeah. million dollars from, um, from, uh, Crimson Tide, but... So you've got three a, so far. There's two more. A, One, just a, literally say an actress's name that is nominated for an Oscar, and you got another point. All right, Meryl Streep. Yep, there's another one. <laughs> what was for what? I don't even remember. All right, great. Chapin, did you send worldwide box office? I sent both. Domestic box office I'm looking at is $91 million for, for Crimson Tide. And seven is $100.1 million. Gross... Calendar gross is eighty four. That's a different thing. It's, it's total. It's total gross. That because goes seven, into ninety six though. Seven came out later. That's how you measure it. I'm sorry. Well, I looked at gross, so I'm the I'm the judge. So oh, he's the quiz master. <laughs> I'm the quiz master. That's so annoying. Just because right, Jeremy, Tide you got Jeremy. You got one. If you May. get this last one, which is the toughest one, then you got six points, and you are literally no Lee. Give one me that point, point behind. Give me that point. For seven. That's ridiculous. We're going to litigate that after Jeremy finishes. You need to let him focus. Uh, wait, so I, I got four of them? So you've said Susan Sarandon, Elizabeth yeah. Shue, Meryl Streep, Sharon Stone. Yep. There's yeah. one more for a movie uh, that everybody talks about as an Oscar nominee for 1995 and nobody sees, seen or cares about. Has uh, mo- multiple nominees. Um... um uh, what's her name? Julie, Julie, did something. Oh, Julie Depley from, from Depley. No. Yep. No. no. Okay. Emma Thompson from Sense and Sensibility. Yep. But I Jeremy, get that one. you got yourself back in the game. Um, yep. Pending the judge's ruling on Chapin's complaint, right now the score is nine to seven. Oh wow! Look at that close right. game. I knew so, I was confident the whole time. Chapin, what I'm hearing from the judges is that the quizmaster is ultimately the greatest, but you make a good point, so that you're going to be awarded a point instead of the three total points you could have gotten. Uh, with the, who are these judges? Uh, they're not, they're with me. But they're okay, <laughs> when we when we say how much did a movie make. You, you, it's not fair to compare them because Crimson Tide came out in May and Seven came out in the fall. Well, Chapin, then Crimson Tide is then if then I could essentially look at because so Seven then, made more, it just made more because it went into 1996, and that's how you measure those movies. All right, well, you know what? If you keep arguing, that's not going to get you anywhere. Feedback you at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Chapin, you know nobody's going to email us. So I don't know what you're bothering. <laughs> All right, let me find some questions. Whose turn is it? It's Chapin's turn. It's Chapin's because I just got four or five points. Yeah. So now the score, the score is twenty. The score is twenty to up uh, twenty. The score is ten to seven. All right, ten to seven. All right, that's doable. That's within striking distance. Um, let's see. All right, two pointer, Chapin. Where was Jumanji filmed? The Connecticut. Forest. Incorrect. Damn it. Jeremy? Where was... The whole thing was filmed in one place. One state. 
Uh, as far as I know, yep. I mean, at least the, the, the town, the majority of the scenes were filmed in this one town. town. It's a town uh, I'm quite familiar with. Yeah. That's a hint. Yeah, he's losing. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, well, yeah, I want the st- you want the state, though. Right? I'll, give, I'll give you a point for the state, two points total for the town and state. Oh, f- well, it was uh, a two-point question. Uh, it was in Vermont. It was filmed in Keene, New Hampshire. Really? Yep. Which is where I went to college. Um, all right. Whose turn is it? Jeremy's. Which yep. Bond movie was released in 1995 for one point? Uh, was it... Was it... Goldeneye? It was. Yes! All right. Chapin. Wow, I didn't know that. And that wasn't on the top of the box office that which year? film received the most oscar nominations in 1995 for one point oh. sense and sensibility admirable guess but that's not correct jeremy wait repeat that the most most oscar nominations in 1995, which film? This is a big point. This is a big, big point. I'm trying to get some excitement here as this dead air just lingers. I'm gonna say it's. I'm, I'm gonna say it's Braveheart. That is correct. Yes. Ten nominations. All right, we have a score, ladies and gentlemen, of ten to nine, and we are running out of. Questions. Questions. I've got mm. one, two. No one should believe your questions, anyways. One, two. Oh, I think I have only two questions left, and it is Jeremy's turn. No, I just, I just went. Well, you just stole. Oh, I just stole. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, and you went first, so that makes sense. All right. So, Jeremy. Yeah. Who wrote seven? Fuck. It wasn't... I know this, but I'm not going to be able to pull it. I'm not going to be able to pull it. Oh, my God. Um, Chapin Steel could seal the win. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm not going to get two, it. One. Chapin. Andrew Kevin Walker. Andrew uh, Kevin I wasn't gonna Walker. Get is the correct answer for one point that puts him at 21 to 19 with only one one point question remaining which is for chapin seven was nominated for only one oscar which one editing editing is correct jeremy it wasn't the landslide that you thought it would be and while controversial the controversy didn't impact the final standings chapin is our victor jeremy i know you let him win because he's sleep deprived it's okay he doesn't have to know about it yeah, he's sleep devi- deprived. Yeah, he's watched more movies. <laughs> Twenty-two to nineteen. I don't know why I keep adding ten points. It just sounds better that way. Twelve to nine is our final. <laughs> Twelve to nine is our final on our amazing nineteen ninety-five trivia quiz. I'm quite certain I would have won that had I been participating. Um, if if you were the quiz master, if, right? Yeah. If you were also the quiz if master. I was also the quiz master, of course. Um, anything else we got, guys? Well, I just wanted to say I thought you guys did a great job without me. I thought that was a really interesting conversation about um, what was. I went back to and listened. I forget what podcast it was, but Jeremy, um, that Kaufman movie was your most anticipated of 2020. Did you say that on the podcast? I think he did. I know it was on his list. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. That's disappointing for you, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, um, 2020 yeah. has been a little disappointing for all of <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, it's been a rough year. But, um, yeah, but I mean, if you could at least, least have your most anticipated your movie be good. Is, uh, if is, I had to rank disappointments in 2020. Yeah, there's a couple. <laughs> uh, but no, I think, uh, it, it, I do think from, for a movie like that, because I, you know, 
the have you watched it yet i haven't watched it but i wanted to listen to the podcast and so it was a really spirited interesting conversation which i was initially pissed about because i i I would i hate i would i hated to miss it um and i wanted you guys to be lost without me but you definitely (laughs) weren't it's like fumble we have no idea how to chapin was chapin was hoping the whole the whole podcast was just like you there hello who's this exactly i was hoping it would be a disaster i was like surprised i was like really hurt when i saw that it came out um but no you guys did a great job the the one thing i would just say is that like in those circumstances i just think we need to kind of tell the plot which you guys eventually got to but it was (laughs) it was after a really good discussion which i found interesting but yeah like a movie like that is impossible to follow um (laughs) but yeah i'm I'm sorry jeremy that you your most anticipated film was not very good let's remind uh everyone so if that was my most anticipated what was your mine was tenant which we still haven't seen yet yeah and lee's yours was i think mine was ptas which is like just started like started casting yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's not going to make it. Most anticipated of 2024. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Next uh, week, The Expendables 3. Yeah, starring Mel Gibson. Um, Mel Gibson yeah, feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com if you care to, you know, if you've watched Braveheart recently and you're like, yeah, those guys are on to something. Um Check us out on Instagram. Don't check us out on Facebook anymore. Fuck Facebook is what we say. And uh, thanks for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.